Island Church would like to thank you for tuning in. Today, you will be hearing a message from our 18th annual Fall Harvest Conference. Thank you, Father. We honor you. We glorify you this evening. Lord Jesus, you said where two or three of us are gathered together, you are there in the midst of them. So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence in our midst. We thank you, Jesus, for the price that you paid for our redemption, for our healing, to give us life abundant, and we thank you. I ask you tonight that you would reach out with your mighty hand, touch everybody in this place at the point of need in their life, Father. Heal those that are sick, do miracles in this place. And Lord, for everything that you do, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise because you alone are worthy. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Please be seated. I'm greatly honored to be here. How many of you were not here in the morning? Just asking. Not, can you raise it higher so I know? Okay, about a third. My name is Christopher Alam. Uh, in case you were wondering. I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, but I'm not Amish, in case you're wondering. <laughs> also, I just want to set things straight. Praise God. I'm greatly honored to be here. Thank you, Pastor Rusty, Pastor Leah. And uh, this morning, I shared a little bit about uh, what we have been doing this during this shutdown. And I, I'll just mention briefly one of the things that we did, and the Lord really was gracious to us. I said, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a good fundraiser. Uh, that's not one of my, my gifts. But we, we do what the Bible says. We sow seed and we receive blessing. And I'm blessed. You know, one of the most important things in ministry is to have friends. Uh, relationships are, in fact, I tell people that relationships are actually more important than your vision because it is your friends who help you fulfill your vision. If you don't have friends, you cannot fulfill your vision. And, and so, uh, you know, when this thing started, I heard about pastors who were starving, had nothing to eat. So we decided to collect money to, to send to Africa and India and Pakistan and other places. And uh, so we have been, uh, we have collected over $210,000. And we have provided three months food for over 1,000 pastors and their families. And the reason I want to mention this is because Pastor Rusty and Pastor Sam Carr have been great help to us. So thank you, Pastor Sam, for standing with us, helping us for uh, doing this. It really means a lot. And thank you, Pastor Rusty. It has been a huge blessing. I mean, for us able to do it, but an even greater blessing for those people because people were actually starving. Uh, it's bad, you know, especially in places like Zimbabwe, Zambia. Zimbabwe already had 90, 80 to 90% unemployment. So when the shutdown happened, I mean, how, how much worse can it get, you know? So it was, and, and but at the same time, I realized that, you know, we are so blessed to live in this country that even in the worst of times, we have far more than many people in the world do in the best of times. So I think Thanksgiving is in order, you know? I think we, we are, um, Americans are chronic complainers and we should, <laughs> we should sometimes stop and thank God for what we have, that we are 
so blessed. Hallelujah. And God said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And we are blessed so that we can bless others because we have more than what we need. Praise God. We have more than, and so we are a blessed people. So, you know, we have been able to do this and help a lot of people. But the good thing is that, uh, you know, we see about uh, between 800,000 to 1.2 million people at our altar calls every year. Uh, uh, and uh, we do eight campaigns in Africa, four campaigns uh, in, uh, well, in a country in Asia, which I'm not uh, free to, since this is going out over live stream and you don't know who's watching you. So... Uh, but this year, we could at least start with two campaigns this year. So we had two good crusades, and we, we, you know, at least we could do that. Two out of our 12 crusades a year, we could do two. And then the pandemic hit, and so we have not been able to do any more crusades. But we have been able to feed all those pastors. Plus, I've been teaching on YouTube. I've been, uh, you know, I used to teach at a Bible college in Sweden um, 37 years ago. And I had kind of, you know, we, we had a thousand students. We were the biggest school in Europe at that time. So, but I had forgotten this because when you do crusades and church planting, you kind of, you know, and, and the Lord told me, pick up those old skills and begin to teach again. So I began to study and teach and we have got uh, over 200, I think 204 teachings on YouTube. And people all over the world are watching them. Uh, Bible schools are using them. Churches are using them. I'm getting messages from all over the world. People are being blessed and I'm going to keep on. So it really motivates you. So I'm going to keep on putting on more. So it has, it has been a huge blessing. And throughout this time, our churches have kept on supporting us and partners have kept on supporting us and we have been able to help others. So we are, we are grateful, hallelujah. Praise God. So we, we are most grateful. Well, uh, I want to start sharing with you something that I have preached quite often in the past couple of years. And the Lord stirred me to share this uh, with you here. And I want to talk to you about the last words of Jesus. The last words that Jesus spoke on this earth before he ascended to heaven. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, Acts chapter 1. Now, Pastor Rusty pointed out, Pastor Jerry Lackey here, I've never met you personally. Where are you, brother? Brother, we are, you know, I almost visited you in Botswana, but we'll have to do that another time. Praise God. Good. Wonderful. Let us talk after the service. I'm good. For, praise God. And Sister Tony Haskell, you're also here. Oh, we have never really spoken face to face. Would love to talk to you. Praise God. It's wonderful when you're in a place where there's men and women of God. Praise God. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and uh, I'm start, I'll start from verse number 4. It said, on one occasion while he was eating with them. Now, this is significant because Jesus liked to eat, in case you didn't know. But that's, that's another, I'm, I'm not going to go in that direction today. It says he was eating with them. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, 
It's interesting because Jesus gave them this command. That means to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and to speak in tongues is not an option, but it is a command. Jesus gave this as a command that every believer should be baptized with, the, should experience the baptism with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So he gave them this command. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So we know that these were the final words that the Lord Jesus spoke when he was on the earth. So now. But I want you to take note of this. When he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And their response was something that uh, always had me wondering, where were they coming from? What were they thinking? Because their response was, Lord are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And so I always wondered what kind of response is that? Jesus is saying in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they're talking about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. What are they talking about? I never understood this for many, many, many years until one day I began to uh, read some history. And uh, when I read history, I suddenly understood where they were coming from. And this is, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background so that you understand the historical background to this. Now, when Jesus came to the scene, uh, the nation of Israel had been under foreign occupation for almost 400 years, little, I think it was about 370, 380 years. But you know, they were a proud nation because they knew that they were God's people. They knew that God had a covenant with them. They knew that the law of God was given through them, that all the prophets were from Israel and that they were unique and they were special. And they always had their own kingdom. They had their own king. So they were a proud nation. In, and, you know, and therein lay their uniqueness. But now for almost 400 years, they haven't had their kingdom, they hadn't their own king, and they had lived as basically slaves under foreign occupation. Now, if you read the history, you'll find out that there were three major powers that occupied Israel during those four centuries. The first power to occupy them were the Babylonians. Uh, the Babylonians were there, then the Babylonians left. When the Babylonians left, then came the Seleucid Greeks. Now the Greeks were unique that wherever they went, they, had, they always left a very strong cultural and linguistic footprint wherever they went. So that Greek language, the Greek language became very important to the Israelites. So that when the first books of the New Testament were written, 
over a century after the Greeks had left. The interesting thing is that uh, the writers of the books of the New Testament, they spoke Aramaic as their every, everyday language, and, they, and, and Hebrew was their religious language, but they wrote the books of the New Testament in beautiful, perfect, classic Greek. So this was the Greek influence. So anyway, so then the Greeks left and then came the Romans and the Romans were exceptionally brutal. They had an extortionate taxation system and that's why the tax collectors, you know, they were hated during the time of Jesus and, and they used to crucify people, behead people, they killed people for minor infraction, the infractions, they were known for the cruelty. And so during these four centuries, the people were, were fed up of being oppressed and, and, and occupied and, and being mistreated. So what they did is they did something interesting and that is what we also do. They began to interpret the scriptures through the prism of their own circumstances. And so they began to, so whenever, especially the messianic scriptures, when they would read the messianic scriptures, they interpreted that the Messiah would be some kind of military figure who would come and lead them and throw the Romans out. And so through these four centuries, there had been uh, many uprisings against these occupying powers. And, uh, but all these uprisings had been crushed. They had been brutally crushed, except one man. He had some limited success. His name was Judas Maccabeus. And even if you go to Israel today, Judas Maccabeus is like a folk hero. And uh, you hear the name, the Maccabees, you know, the Israel's biggest soccer club is known as the Maccabees. You know, the Judas Maccabeus is a folk hero. So the reason he was a hero, because he was the only uh, leader of an uprising who managed to liberate a small chunk of territory. And there he established a little Jewish kingdom called the Hasmonean kingdom. Kingdom. It was called the Hasmonean Kingdom because his, he was from the Hasmonean uh, dynasty and his brother was the first king of the Hasmonean dynasty. But even that, when the Romans came, they destroyed that also. So they, you know, so they were looking for a new uh, deliverer, a new leader, a new Messiah. And into this picture comes Jesus. Now, when Jesus comes, uh, people begin to watch him as, you know, every new potential uh, Messiah, potential leader was being watched. And they noticed that there were two unique things about Jesus. The first thing was that his word was with power because his, when people heard him speak, it, it touched their hearts. And at one point, you know, they, they sent some soldiers to arrest him and the soldiers came back empty handed and they said, why didn't you arrest him? They said, how could we do that? Because nobody has ever spoken like this man. And there was power in the words that he spoke. The other thing about Jesus was that he had miracles. I mean, he cast out demons and the lame walked, the blind saw, lepers were cleansed. And I mean, just amazing physical miracles of healing and creative miracles that they had never heard of nor seen. So what happened? They were these people who began to gather around him and they, they looked at him as their 
potential leader who would throw uh, the Romans out. And, you know, one of his, his uh, disciples, if you remember, his name was Simon the Zealot. And the Zealots were like the, uh, how do you say, those who were in some kind of insurgency. They were known as the Zealots. And if you remember when Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, they were waving palm branches and they were saying, Hosanna to the king who cometh in the name of the Lord, which was actually sedition and treason against Rome because nobody could ever be called a king other than Caesar. But they threw, threw off all their constraints and they began to, you know, proclaim him. And that palm branch was actually the symbol of the zealots and Hosanna was their war cry. So they wanted him to be their king. And in fact, before that, if you remember when he fed the 5,000, immediately after that miracle, it says they they wanted to force Jesus to be their king. They tried to make him king by force, but he was not even interested in being their king. In fact, he never made a statement about the Romans. They tried to get him to say something. And they even, I mean, the, they made one effort in which they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? You know, that was a loaded question, but Jesus was uh, smarter than them. He had the wisdom of God, and he said, give me a quarter, and they gave him a coin. He said, whose picture is on it? Caesar. Then he said, okay, fine, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And so, uh, but he never, in fact, what he, he didn't talk about their very real circumstance of oppression and occupation they were living in. He never referred to those things, never said anything about the Romans, but he talked about this coming kingdom. He talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about heaven. He talked about things in another dimension and they never understood him because all that they could see was the Romans were oppressing them. They had been oppressed for 400 years and they wanted their kingdom back. They wanted things to revert to the way it was in the days past. And so now Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem and they throw off all their constraints. They're waving palm branches shouting Hosanna to the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And what does Jesus do? He goes and dies on the cross a few days later. And when he dies, their dreams die with him. But he makes the ultimate comeback. Three days later, he's back. Amen. Arnold Schwarzenegger said, I'm back. But that was nothing compared to when Jesus said, I'm back. Now, when Jesus came back, their dreams were also resurrected with him and they began to follow him around. And, you know, now yeah, they, I think they were thinking, this is just my inference, they were thinking, oh, he has realized his mistakes, so now he's come back and he's going to do it now. And so, but for 40 days he was with them and he talked about things pertaining to the, king, the kingdom of God. And now on this day, when he was eating with them, he says something. He says, guys, come here, let me tell you something. He says, don't go anywhere, but wait in Jerusalem until you receive that which I have told you about. Because John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they looked at one another and they thought, now he's got it. He's going to do it. So they said, is that when you, that means you are the one who's going to, you're the guy. Is that when you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, their dream was still alive. But Jesus, he destroyed their hopes one last time. And he said, it is not for you to know God's timetable. 
He said, but I tell you what, when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, I want to pause here. I'll come back to that statement again about the coming of the Holy Ghost. But let's continue on in history because what happened was that uh, Jesus, you know, he, he ascended to heaven. And uh, uh, if you just look at worldly history from the worldly perspective, Jesus ascended to heaven and he was gone. And then there was this new sect, as the Jews call it, called the Christians, and they were doing their thing. But life for the Jews went on as it had been before. Romans were still there, still tax, uh, taxing them and killing them and oppressing them until the year 70, because Jesus, uh, he ascended to heaven around the year 33, 34, and about uh, 26 years later, uh, sorry, 36 years later, around the year 70, the Jews had one last uprising. And by this time, the Romans were fed up of the Jews and their uprising, and they had a general called Titus, who was known for his brutality. And Titus came from Rome, marching with his legions, and he set about killing as many Jews as he could. And he killed thousands of Jews, and the rest of the Jews scattered. They scattered to the four corners of the earth. And Titus set about destroying all the cities. He destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. He reduced the city to rubble uh, to such an extent that even today, 2,000 years later, archaeologists, you go to Israel, you see archaeologists digging everywhere, trying to figure out where the buildings were that are mentioned in the Bible. And uh, then what happened was that the Jews were scattered and they were scattered to the four corners of the world. And after about uh, 1,950 years, they finally could come back to Israel. But even then, only two of the 12 tribes came back. And 10 tribes, they're missing. In in fact, when I was uh, once uh, in, in, in India, in, in, you know, in the northeast of India, I saw some Orthodox Jews there and I asked them who they were and they said, well, we are uh, anthropologists. I said, so what brings you here? They said, we are taking DNA tests to see if there's any of the lost tribes of Israel here. So they are still looking for those people and they are all over the place, scattered, and they still don't have their temple and, uh, you know, they, they have a secular kind of government and all that. But the Bible tells us in the last days, uh, you know, you, you will read more about what happens with the Jews and the people of Israel. That will come in the last days. But out of that rubble of history rose the church. The church. And the church has grown and grown and grown. I mean, although people tried to destroy the church, I mean, the, uh, first it was the, the Jewish um, uh, religious leaders who tried to destroy it. The Romans tried to destroy it. And throughout history, the church has been persecuted. But the unique thing about the church is that the more pressure you put on it, the stronger the church gets. So the worst thing you can do to the church is the best thing for the church. In fact, the worst thing for the church 
is if you leave them alone and get them too rich with too much political power, that's when we are in trouble. But you oppress them, persecute them, they will only grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And this church of Jesus Christ today is probably, I would call it the most powerful nation on earth because we don't have national boundaries. We don't have a seat in the United Nations. We don't have a flag. We don't hold elections, thank God. We don't have any politicians. We don't have, have any elections. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful that wherever the gospel is preached, when people give their lives to Jesus, Jesus Christ has such a hold over their lives that their allegiance to Jesus Christ is stronger than the allegiance they have to the country in which they are born. That is the power of Jesus Christ. And because of this, if there's anything that the despots and dictators of this world fear, it is the church and the message of this church. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that in the end, everything shall be destroyed. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it says there will come a day when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Everything that can be destroyed will be destroyed. But we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let us live holy and serve God with holy reverence and with Oh, hallelujah. What a privilege it is to be servants of the kingdom of the Most High God. Hallelujah. But now let's go back to our text. Now you have a historical background to what I'm talking about. Because you see, Jesus, the reason he was not interested in their kingdom, because their kingdom it blessed only one group of people, the Jewish people. It blessed, it touched, it affected only their lives. But this kingdom, oh my goodness, it affects every human being on this earth, irrespective of nationality, of color, or race, or tribe. And the Bible says that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This thing is far bigger than Israel. And so, but they couldn't see that. You see, Jesus saw that. He was trying to do something far bigger than they could ever imagine. But they just wanted their kingdom back. So now Jesus is saying, he says, now wait in Jerusalem. Then he says, when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. What he was saying was something very revolutionary. Because for the Jews, the whole concept of God, God was a very distant reality. They don't have a concept of God having fellowship with man. God is to be worshipped and feared, but he was a very distant. You know, a, an ordinary Jew couldn't say, hey, you know, the Lord has blessed me or he talked to me. And when I woke up this morning, this is what the Lord said. Some of the things we say to each other, we take for granted. But they could, you know, uh, or we say Jehovah, you know, oh my goodness, you can't even take his name. So, but what he's telling them, he's saying... The Holy Spirit, who's the third person of the Trinity. Now, when I say third person, 
I say this because that's what they all say. It doesn't mean he's some kind of junior partner. <laughs> you know, sometimes we think that God is this old man with a big beard, sitting, twiddling his thumb, and then we have Jesus, who's the younger guy. He's the nice one, you know. God is, you know, kind of frowning on us all the time, you know. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, we think of God, and then Jesus is this nice guy who loves everybody. And then we think the Holy Ghost is the thing that floats around. No one can really put a finger in him, and sometimes he shows up on Sunday, and we all go, Shira Baba, who glory, you see that? There's the Holy Ghost, you know, you see that? Whenever that happens, or this leg shakes, the Holy Ghost is here. And then we go home and say, whoo! We had a move of the Holy Ghost. Hope he comes back tomorrow again. And whenever he shows up, we get very excited, but we don't really know how to get him to come or to stay. You know, he comes and goes. And when he does, it's great. When he doesn't, we wish he would come back again, you know. But so, so, but, but, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and the Son. He is God. He's a person. He can talk to us. We can, we can talk to him. But here's the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit. You see, the Father is in heaven. Jesus is at his right-hand side. But the Holy Spirit is here on this earth. So everything that the Father and the Son say or do, they do through the Holy Spirit. And which is very interesting. I've thought of it a lot because all the churches in the world, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about cults, but all the churches in the world, we are in total agreement about who the Father is. We are in total agreement with who Jesus is, but the place where we have contention is who the Holy Spirit is, his person and his work. Churches don't agree. You know why? Because the devil knows that if he can keep the Holy Ghost out of our personal lives or out of our church, we are sunk. There's a Holy Spirit and his presence and our fellowship with the Holy Spirit are most essential for us. We cannot make it without him. But Jesus is saying, listen, this Holy Spirit, he is going to come and not just come, he's going to come upon you. Amen. So my challenge to you folks is this. Has the Holy Spirit come upon you? And if he has... Is it that you have the Holy Ghost or is it that the Holy Ghost has you? Can you really say the Holy Ghost got me instead of saying I have the Holy Ghost? Because you see, the level of power in your life will depend upon your level of surrender to the Holy Spirit. So he says, when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. So there is that encounter each one of us must have with the Holy Ghost in which we give the Holy Spirit the Lordship, total Lordship over our personal lives. And he says, when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, the first thing you shall receive is power. Power. And that word power is the Greek word dynamis, which is the root word where we get dynamo or dynamite. It, it actually, in today's language, it would mean brute force, miracle working power. When the Holy Ghost, and it's the, you see, the same word is used in Mark 5 when the woman with the issue of blood 
touched Jesus and he said, I felt dunamis flowed from me. So what Jesus is telling the disciples is this, listen, you remember that divine substance that flowed from me and healed that woman when she came and touched me? Well, the same thing shall come upon you when the Holy Ghost comes. The same thing that flowed from me when those people touched me and they were healed, the same thing shall flow from you. Now, but here's the thing. Here's a legitimate question. I have many people who say, yeah, but I have the Holy Ghost. I don't have that flowing from me. And there's a simple reason for that. You know what that is? It is called faith. That means that we must raise the level of our expectation to the level of the promises of God. We cannot have that this is what the word of God says, but our expectation is at a lower level. No, our expectation, we you see, we have to be total fanatics about this thing. The problem is when we, when we spirit-filled Pentecostal word of faith people, we get too dignified. It doesn't work that way. So Jesus said, when that Holy Ghost shall come upon you, you shall receive power. And the first thing he said, you shall be my witnesses. And witnesses, that's the reason we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. A witness means somebody who can give evidence in court. I remember once I, I witnessed a crime. There's a guy, he was strung out on drugs. He came with a knife and began to attack people. Fortunately, he couldn't kill anyone, but there was a lot of blood all around. He even attacked me. The police came. He attacked the police. They finally managed to control him and take him away. Three weeks late, later, uh, later, I got a letter. And it says, summons. I was summoned to the court because I was a witness. They had taken my name and address. And the first thing I was asked, were you there? Now, if I had said I was not there, but I read about it in the newspaper, I'm sorry, you are not a witness. A witness is somebody who has seen something, who have experienced something. And let me tell you something that I have seen and experienced is that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. Hallelujah. We are witnesses of the fact that Jesus Christ is not dead, but Jesus Christ is alive. And he's the same yesterday and he's the same today. He shall be the same forever. I've seen dead people raised up. Up, lame people get up and walk. I've seen God fill empty sockets with eyes and nobody can do these things. I don't care how great or powerful or anointed he is or how much faith he got. Nobody can do these things except Jesus Christ. And these things just prove the fact that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he's alive because if he was dead, he couldn't do these things. See, my family are all Muslims and almost everybody in my family has been to Mecca and done the pilgrimage. I'm the only one left out because I became a Christian. And so they tell me, oh, you know, I was in Mecca. I remember when my brother was telling me, oh, I was in Mecca. Really? And what did you do? Then he told me all the things he did. Then he said, we went to Medina. Medina is a nearby town. And that is where the prophet Muhammad is buried. I said, is he buried there? Yeah. Are you sure his body is in there? Yes, yes. He's been there for 1400 years. People go there every day to pray. And I prayed at his tomb. It's a beautiful tomb. His body is there. I said, that's great that he has a, you have a grave. I said, you know, I don't have any place to go to. I don't. I 
I wish, I wish I had a grave to go to. I said, I went to Jerusalem and there is a grave there, but I went there. And he said, in fact, not only did I go there, I went inside there and I saw the place where they had laid his body. It was the grave of Jesus Christ and there was nothing there. In fact, on the wall, there was a sign. It says, he is not here, but he is risen. And I said, he is alive. And that is what we are witnesses of. We are witnesses of the fact that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he's alive. And because he's alive, he does the same things today that he did 2,000 years ago. You shall be my witnesses. Then it tells us where we shall be his witnesses. First place, he said, Jerusalem. Now that's your home turf, your hometown. Then he said in Judea. Judea is the greater area where the Jewish people live. Then he said, Samaria. Now, that's the enemy. They have another religion. We have no dealings with them. Remember what the Samaritan woman said to Jesus? Why are you even talking to me? Our people, your people have no dealings with each other. We worship on this mountain. You worship in Jerusalem. Samaria. Who are the Samaritans of today? Should I be blunt with you? Muslims. Huh? Just because we are politicians who say bad things about Muslims doesn't mean you I should believe them. You know the great thing about them in being in America is this? The mission field is here. Saves you money on a ticket. Just go to your local gas station. That's all. You, you, you start going to the local gas station or the 7-Eleven or the convenience, you know. They are not just the 9-11 people, they are also the 7-Eleven people. <laughs> but, but you know, you know what, you know what, let, let, let me be honest with you. Look, I was a Muslim, okay? I was a Muslim. I don't have an agenda. My only agenda, I want people to be saved. Yes, that's my agenda. Yeah, I, I want the devil out of everybody. I want people to be saved, okay? Now, many of us, when we look at Muslims, uh, we, we, we hear people on TV, you know, I, I call them motor mouths. People make a living out of vilifying others, and they will make you believe that every single Muslim, I don't know, there's three million of them here, they all have an agenda. Look, you know why they're here? They're here the same reason why almost everybody else is here. They want to escape the wars and the miseries and live in a country where they can raise their kids. Most people are like that, and they're good people. But many people are afraid to have any dealings with them because they're scared because the guy might pull out a bazooka and shoot you, you know? <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would give you a piece of advice. You know, they can be very friendly. Talk to him. Hey, what's your name? How long have you lived in America? How many kids do you have? Would love to get together with you, hear your story. Can we eat a hamburger together? Or, you know, get to know the guy. And you'll imagine, I mean, they love families, they love kids. You know, they're very conservative in their values. And, you know, it's, I mean, they, they, they are easy to win for Jesus if you can befriend them. Amen. They're not out to kill you. Believe me. 
Don't be. We are the land of the free, the home of the brave. The brave don't think everyone is out to kill them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Jesus said, what do we do with them? You know, let, let me just tell you a story. Uh, I think it was last October. I go to Sweden all the time. You know, we've got family there. So I was in Sweden, Uppsala, Sweden. I got off the plane. I went to the hotel. I didn't even wash up. I just needed to take a walk. So I was walking through town and I hear a voice behind me. Brother Christopher and I turn around and here's this foreign looking guy. I, I didn't recognize him. I said, excuse me, do I know you? He said, you're Brother Christopher Alam. I said, yeah. He said, it's Kusro. Don't you remember me? Then I remembered him. 36 years ago, I used to go and knock doors and evangelize. Sometimes a great thing, you meet interesting people. I, I went from apartment to apartment and I came to this guy's apartment. He was from Iran and he was crippled. And this guy was so smart. I was trying to talk to him about Jesus and he talked circles around me. You know, I mean, I, I think I'm an average smart guy, but this guy, oh my goodness, he talked circles around me. So finally, I gave up. I said, listen, I said, look, I told him, I said, you are much smarter than I. I couldn't argue with you. I couldn't talk to you, but I've got this one thing. I said, I notice you have problems. And he said, yeah, he began to explain his, you know, he was crippled. He was like this since birth. I said, if I lay hands on you and God heals you, would you then give your life to Jesus? Because that would be proof for you. And, and if Jesus doesn't heal you, you don't have to believe what I say. He thought that was a good idea. He said, okay. So, <laughs> so. What I did, I lay my hands on him and I cast whatever it was out of him and prayed for him. And then I left. Two weeks later, another guy comes to me, a Swedish guy. He said, by the way, did you pray for this Iranian guy, crippled guy? I said, yeah. He said, I was out knocking doors, evangelizing. And he told me there was a guy called Christopher Alam who came to me and I have been healed and I want to follow Jesus. So I met Kusro after that and, you know, he, all these years. And so I asked him, what are you doing now? He said, praise the Lord, brother. I'm in such and such church and I'm one of the elders, one of the leaders there. I'm serving God and my son is also serving God. And I said, what a wonderful story. That is why God has anointed us with the Holy Spirit to give witness for Jesus Christ. Somebody said, how can you do such a thing like that? What if God didn't heal him? I said, why do you ask stupid questions? How can you say, what if God didn't heal him when he is healed? You should be rejoicing, praising God instead of saying, what if God didn't heal? What, I mean, your what if never happened because the guy is healed and he has been healed for 36 years. He's serving God. So don't talk about what might have happened because that what might have happened never happened. But this happened. So... He said, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, one thing about the Jewish people, the Jews don't have any, you know, the Jews are not like Stalin or Putin or Hitler, you know, with like they want to dominate the world. They're not interested. If you ask the Jewish people, they say, listen, there's this little strip of land in the Middle East. God promised to Abraham, that's all we want. But Jesus, he's out for world domination. <laughs> he's a different kind of Jew. He wants everyone to be saved. 
Amen. So that's why he told us we have to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Hallelujah. And I've been to some of those places. One of the uttermost parts of the world, earth, was when I went to Irian Jaya. You know where that is? That is in the jungles uh, of Indonesia, easternmost part of Indonesia. And I remember it was like six and a half hours flight from Jakarta. And the pastor told me, he says, brother, don't be shocked. I said, shocked about what? He says, those people walk around naked. Naked. And their mosquitoes and insects that buy them. He said, yeah. I said, how do they protect themselves? He says, they slaughter a pig and take the pig fat and smear themselves. He says, they smell pretty bad. <laughs> he said, secondly, those people are cannibals. I said, Can he said not, not those, but in the interior. They're cannibals. I said, and you are taking me there? He said, you are safe. I said, how can you I'm, say I'm safe? He says, because they prefer to eat white people. <laughs> I said, hallelujah. <laughs> white people, the other white meat. <laughs> he said, you're brown, so you're safe. So I came, I, and there's no roads in the interior. There's no roads, it's all jungle. So we, we came and we made our way to this little town. And, uh, and, and I was there waiting in this house, you know, for my luggage, the porters to bring in my luggage. And in walks a man completely naked. And he's smeared with pig fat, right? And he's wearing absolutely nothing except two items of apparel. He's wearing Ray-Ban sunglasses. <laughs> And a New York Yankees baseball cap. <laughs> and I said to the pastor, I said, American culture has reached here before the gospel. <laughs> and worst of all, he wanted to hug me. I said, pig fat. So I, I gave him, you know, the way you hug sisters in the church, you know, kind of a distance <laughs> hug. I hugged him from a distance. And then they told me, if you don't hug him, they get very offended because they're very affectionate. I said, yeah, but, you know. Anyway, uh, the moment he turned his back, I took out my hand sanitizer, and, you know, went like that, all that. But anyway, I'm, I'm not making this up. This is true. Now. We're talking about Jesus told us to go to the ends of the earth. When I was a little kid, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, I don't remember, could have been nine years old, I was very small. And my dad had taught me to hunt and shoot from the time I was very small, from the time I could walk. And one day, and so we were, my dad was transferred to what is now known as Bangladesh. And uh, my dad said, we are going on a wild elephant hunt. I said, are we going to kill elephants? He says, no, no. He says, the jungles here are teeming with wild elephants. And what they do is that they capture these wild elephants and they tame them. They train them. And these elephants do the work of uh, uh, trucks and tractors uh, in the jungle. Now, African elephants are very hard to domesticate, but the Asian elephants are domesticated. Just an interesting fact. So we drove two days through the jungle. Then we crossed the border into Burma. 
My, uh, there was no marked border. My dad said, we are now in Burma. And I remember when we came to Burma, which is now known as Myanmar, I heard a voice, whether it was an audible voice or something in my heart, I don't know, but something said to me, one day you're going to come back to this country and you'll do some big things here. I was just a little kid. I didn't know what it was, just forgot all about it. And we watched the whole thing about catching elephants and all that. And about 38 or 40 years later, I was back in Burma. And I remember I came there to preach. And, and when I was at the airport, suddenly that voice came back to me. And I knew I was there with a purpose. So uh, we had meetings. And we had a powerful move of God, many miracles, people saved. Immediately after that, there was persecution. And uh, I had to leave. And they said, don't come back for a year. Well, after a year, I came back. And when I came back after a year, and uh, one night in the meetings, there was a powerful time of worship. And I, I lay prostrate on the floor. And I saw an open vision. In fact, in five days, I had three open visions. And this has, I mean, I'm not like Brother Hagen. You know, Brother Hagen's open visions all the time. I, this rarely happens to me, but I saw three open visions. And in one of the open visions, I mean, it was so vivid because I was wide awake. But it's like I'm standing here, but I can't see you. I can see what I'm seeing in the vision. And one of the things that the Lord said to me, I want you to come back to Burma and start planting churches and, uh, you know, and holding crusades and plant churches churches. But that time Burma was under a military dictatorship and the persecuted Christians, Christians were being killed and imprisoned and tortured. And, and the Lord is telling me to come back and do this. I said, Lord, it's much needed. Great idea, but I'm not your man. <laughs> and the Lord said, why? I said, because I like my life. I said, I've got a wife. I've got three kids. I live in the United States. I'm happy. I can come and preach and go back, and I like it this way. Find somebody else. And then the Lord said, do you remember what you said in the summer of 1977? And I said, please don't bring that up. <laughs> 1976, I had spent almost the whole year in prison in Pakistan for preaching the gospel. And I was tortured and all that. Anyway, I escaped 1977, and I ended up in Belgium, and I was a refugee. And you know, when you, especially when you spend time in prison for preaching, you're on fire for God. That's you know. So I was excited. I wanted to serve God, and um, so I was with an organization known as Operation Mobilization. And our leader was a man called George Verber. And George Verber was, I mean, he was crazy. He was on fire for God. There were 7,000 people there, and he used to preach strong. He used to say, if you're not willing to lay down your life for Jesus, your life is worth nothing. And, you know, he made us, uh, I mean, he worked on us, you know. So I was, then he gave me, I got to know him, and he gave me a book. He said, come here, I'm going to give you a book you must read. It's called The Calvary Road. And uh, it was about living the crucified life, laying down your life. Second chapter, I was on my knees crying. I read the rest of the book on my knees, because every time I met him, he used to ask me, have you read the book? So I, could, I had to read it, you know. So when I finished the book, he said, have you finished the book? I said, yeah, you can have it back. He said, no, keep it. I'm going to give you another book you must read. And I looked at the title. It was called Come, Live, and Die. <laughs> so I read Come, Live, and Die. 
And then one night, you know, George, he does, I don't know, he does some kind of altar call. He said, how many of you want to serve Jesus? Lay down your life on the missions field and go wherever I go. And me, you know, I was a young guy, zealous, and I was young and how stupid I was. I made the decision I have regretted the rest of my life. I came running to the front and I knelt and my tears flowing down my cheek. So I said, Lord, send me wherever you want to send me. Send me to the worst places where nobody else wants to go. If you don't want to use me, kill me. I said, I want to die somewhere for you. And, you know, I said all those things. (laughs) And then, you know, I settled down. I got married, had kids. I had a house, I had a car. I have cats in my house. I'm living a good life. And now the Lord said, do you remember what you said? I said, Lord, those are the foolish words of my youth. (laughs) The stupidity of youth. And you know, God has, when I, I, I regret saying, God, send me wherever you want me to go. I have friends who go to Maui and I go to Malawi, you know, and, and stuff like that. And anyway, so I always end up going to the bad places, you know. And anyway, so uh, the Lord said, yeah, but uh, you learn from Kenneth, uh, not, I hadn't read Kenneth Hagin at that time, but he said, you have learned to hold me to my word. I said, yeah, he says, so can't I hold you to your word? Does your word mean anything? I said, yeah, but that was so many years ago. And Lord says, what you said? I said, okay, okay, fine, I'll go. I give up, I'll go. But on one condition, the Holy Ghost goes with me. And the Lord said, great, I'm having this conversation. Holy Ghost, I said, Holy Ghost. I said, but, but not the Holy Ghost of the churches in America where people line up and you give them a nudge and they do a courtesy fall. Then, <laughs> then they put a tablecloth on people's legs. I said, no, no, not, not that. that. That kind of Holy Ghost won't cut any ice in Burma. Here they torture people. I want the book of Acts Holy Ghost. And the Lord said, okay. So I came back to Burma next year. I'm doing my crusade. I'm about to finish this, okay? I know you are all, you want to stay here all night, but I'll let you go, you know? (laughs) So what happened was this, that I, so I'm back and I'm preaching, altar call, people get saved, you know, I'm holding this crusade and uh, then I'm going to pray for the sick. And all the sick, for some reason, they stood on one side. That's where the ushers put them and they were coming past me. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see there was a man in striped hospital pajamas. He looked like death itself. He was like a skeleton with skin stretched over him. There were three people holding him up and two people with IV bottles and with like tubes running. You know, they had, what I found out, he was terminal, he was dying. They brought him from the hospital as a last resort because the doctors, I don't know what was wrong with him. They've given, and they brought him there. So while I'm praying for people, I watch this guy. Suddenly I hear a sound, a noise, and I look, and this guy slides to the ground, and he's laying on the ground with his, like spread-eagled, with his mouth wide open, his eyes staring into the air. 
and then somebody says something in their language, you know, and then uh, about eight or ten people, uh, I assume they were doctors and nurses, they got up and ran, and they began to do stuff to him. And then one of them spoke English, one of the doctors. He looked at me and said in front of the whole crowd, he said, Pastor, he's dead. I said, well, do something. <laughs> because my wife is an RN. So I sit and watch these medical shows with her. I know this much, what they do when someone dies. When someone dies, they do that massage thing, you know? Now, I don't know, I can just do the Pentecostal massage, you know, the Sharababa Shandoko. That's it. So I said, well, do whatever you have to do. And they said, Pastor, he's really, really dead. He's dead. And then they all got up and went back to their seats. And here's a dead man laying on the side. And then I'm thinking, they didn't teach me anything at Rhema about this. <laughs> I never learned anything. I've never seen a thing like that before. And then one fool of an usher, you know what the stupid fellow did? He walked up there, grabbed this guy by the wrist and dragged him across the floor. He could have left the body there. I could have ignored it and done ministry and then closed the meeting up. Dragged him to the front and put him right in front of me. So now I have to do something. And I said, dear Lord, what do I do? Because I have no clue what I'm going to do. And then I suddenly realized the Holy Ghost knows what to do. When you and I don't know, the Holy Ghost knows. So I suddenly knew what I had to do. So I said, and I'm going to, when I do this, I'm going to make a fool of myself. But if I'm going to make a fool of myself, I'll do it loud and proud so everybody knows what I'm doing. And what I did, I took the microphone to my mouth and this is what I said. I said, My interpreter said, what did you say, pastor? I said, I have no clue what I said. You just stay with me. And then I started, I launched into praying in other tongues. You see, I, I, I have learned one thing. If you want to see a miracle, you got to pray yourself out of a cold place to a hot place. You got to generate some heat. You got to pray yourself from unbelief into faith. You got to pray yourself from ashes to fire. You got to pray with power. You got to, you know, bedroom prayers will not do it. You got to pray with the fire of the Holy Ghost. And I just went on. I, I, I didn't care what the people thought. I think I went on for at least 45 minutes and here's this dead man and I'm just praying in tongues. After some time, I begin to feel a heat in my body. I felt my come up my legs and whenever that happens, I know God is fixing to do something. So I said, I'm going to pray this thing through. So I was going, when suddenly, you know, by that time, I was totally oblivious to who was there. I was in the presence of God. Suddenly, I hear a shout, hallelujah. And I jumped up, opened my eyes. It was the dead man. He had shot up from the floor and he was standing in front of me with his hands in the air and he was praising God. That was all I needed. That was it. You know, from there, I tell you, 
I went all over Burma. We saw during the subsequent years, we saw at least four people raised from the dead. We saw God put eyes in empty sockets. We saw creative miracles, lame, blind, deaf people, all kinds of things. But the best thing, we planted 178 churches in unreached area of that, areas of that country. And their secret, their military uh, intelligence service, who were feared, they used to follow me around and they were scared of me when they saw the power of God because they thought I would do something to them, you know. And, but we kept on preaching the gospel. You know, as I look back at those days, I just think of one thing. The first thing you have to remember is that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. And when I say Jesus Christ is alive, not only is he alive, but he has not changed. He said, I am the Lord and I change not. That means everything he did in, two, in the days 2,000 years ago, he does the same things today. And Pastor Rusty was saying, you know, he said this morning, we must, we must believe God to, for healing in our bodies. And, 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 and I'm not measuring this against your faith. I'm not going to, I'm measuring this against the fact that we have a living Christ. We have a living Jesus. Yes. Amen. And he says, I'm Yahweh Rapha. I am the Lord, the physician. We have a doctor. Hallelujah. Who is not limited? Who can cure every disease? And David, David who lived in the old covenant, he said he forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Hallelujah. He is a savior. He's a healer. And the word of God is still the same. The word of God is still the same. The Holy Ghost is still the same. The gospel is still the same. And God still meets those who believe him, who will take a hold of his word and put their trust in him. The name of Jesus is still the name above every name. Demons still bow at the name of Jesus. Diseases still bow at the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding. That's probably the best thing of all. He's at the right hand of the Father. If you were to ask me what is he doing now at this time, 9:12 in the evening, central time. I tell you what he's doing right now. He's at the right hand of the Father, praying for you and me so that our faith would not fail. His blood is still speaking for me. You are programmed to win. You are destined to win. Hallelujah. That is why the Bible says we are more than conquerors through Christ who has loved us. And that is why, you see, when we set ourselves to do the will of God, we just cannot fail. Failure is not even an option. We can't, we can't even think in terms of failure. Yes, there are difficulties, but we overcome. Because the Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. Hallelujah. Listen, you are all winners. You can believe God for anything and God will do it. Jesus said, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. All things are possible. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads together. While our heads are bowed, I just want to 
This is the most essential thing. Now, I know this is church time, Sunday, morning, Sunday evening, but if there's anybody in this place, and you say, Brother Christopher, I came here, but I need my sins to be forgiven. I need to get right with God. If that is the condition of your soul, you need your sins forgiven, you need to get right with God. If that is you, just you could just raise up your hand so I can pray with you. Maybe everybody here has peace with God, and that's wonderful. That's a great thing. But if there's even one person, you're in that condition, I don't want you to go home in the same condition in which you were when you came. So is there anybody? Just don't be, nothing to be embarrassed about, nothing to be ashamed of. Lift your hand high enough for me to see it. Okay, I'll wait a few more seconds. Brother Roland, could you pray with him? Pray with this gentleman. Anybody else? Pray with him, Brother Roland. Let's lift up our hands to God. Let's stand up together. Let's do this. You know, before we start praying for people, it's so important that we acknowledge what the Lord has done for us. Amen. And when we acknowledge, how do we acknowledge? The Bible says the way we acknowledge what he has done is two things. First, we acknowledge what he has done. And then a result of what he has done, it says, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. So when we speak the language of faith and we acknowledge in our mouth what Jesus has done for us and we acknowledge its fruits in our lives, that's how we acknowledge him. So let us acknowledge him. Thank you, Jesus, that you bore all my sins and you carried all my diseases. You brought me out of darkness and you have done your work in my life that I can be here today because of your grace alone. We thank you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the price you prayed for me and my family and my house, Lord, upon the cross of Calvary. I thank you that I'm saved and I'm healed and I'm delivered. I'm set free. I can walk with you, Father. Thank you for your love, your goodness. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that all my diseases, my sickness had been put upon that cross and you bore them in my stead so that I can walk with you and I can walk in good health, Father, in soundness of mind. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus has won victory over all the works of the devil, including COVID-19. COVID-19 is not invincible. You know what I've heard? A friend of mine in India wrote to me. He said in India, many of the Hindus have built temples to COVID-19. And they're worshiping COVID-19 because they said this thing is so powerful that even our gods cannot defeat COVID-19. I said, that may be true. But my God has won victory over COVID-19. Amen. So let's not treat our God as one of those Hindu gods. Looking at COVID-19 as this invincible thing. Jesus has defeated every disease, every sickness, every spirit. 
and his name is above every name and COVID-19 is a name. And the Lord told me that the one thing that will defeat COVID-19 is our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. That's why one thing we have to do is to speak faith. Speak faith over, over every circumstance, over every, just like we do over financial situations, over, you know, things in the church, over our children. We should speak faith in every situation. Amen. Because faith conquers all things. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we honor you. Lord, we honor you. We glorify you. Praise God. Now, how many of you have a sickness or disease that you want prayer for? Let me see your hand. Okay. Now, one thing the Holy Spirit reminded me, and this was in fact about six, seven months, the Lord began to speak to me because somebody told me that because of these lockdowns and isolation, many people are suffering from mental situations, not physical. And I was reminded of what Brother Hagen once said, just like you can be sick in your body, you can be sick in your head also. And so there is healing from mental and emotional conditions at the cross, at the same place where he bore our physical diseases. There is healing, there is deliverance from that also. Amen. And you know, sometimes it's just people have a natural propensity to worry about things, but sometimes it's more than just worry because it takes a hold of your life and you cannot shake it off. And that's when you should be concerned because that's when you have to attack this thing with faith because it's not just something that comes and goes because we all have, you know, thoughts of anxiety and worry and fear that touches all of us. But when it really gets a hold of you, that's when you got to take authority over that. So how many of you want prayer? Let me see your hand again. So we, I want to do it right. Let me see your hand. Okay, so let's do this. Why don't uh, those who want prayer just come to the front. Just come to the front. Just stand here. Just stand. Don't have to make line by line because there's so many people here. I will kind of do it like we do in Africa. Pastor Rusty, Pastor Sam, could you kindly come and stand next to me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the solution to everything is at the cross. It's at the cross. That wooden cross. When Jesus was whipped and he was bruised and beaten. And the Bible says he became a curse for us. And he bore our physical... Not only is he a healer, but he actually bore these things upon himself. He became a curse for us. He actually took, uh, it means that, that the thing, that condition that is in your mind or body, he actually took it from you and took it upon himself as a substitute so that you and I don't have to carry it. And that's the good news. He took it as our substitute so that you and I don't have to carry it. He took it upon himself. And that is how we come to him. 
as our substitute, as the bearer of our sins and our diseases. And we give them to him. And we put our faith in him as the one who bore it on our behalf. Hallelujah. He doesn't just come alongside of us to help us, but he actually took it upon his own self so that we don't have to carry it upon our own selves. Amen. So let's do this. Let's, let me do, I'll just try to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Let's uh, put your hand on the spot where your disease is. <coughs> if you have a deaf ear, stick your finger in your deaf ear. You've got an eye that cannot hear, uh, cannot see. Put your hand on that eye. If you have a tumor or a growth, wherever you have your problem, put your hand on that spot and get ready. And close your eyes and get your mind upon Jesus. Now, one thing, Please don't do, don't pray nervous prayers. Because if you pray nervous prayers, you know, you stand there trying to work up some faith. That doesn't work. I've learned one thing, that doesn't work. Okay, so just close your eyes, get your mind on Jesus. And uh, I just want you to say this, say, thank you, Jesus. That when you were whipped, when you were beaten, when you were crucified, you took my diseases upon your own self so that I don't have to carry it. And by those stripes on your back, I have been healed. So I declare that over my body, that my body is healed by your power. So I now am ready to receive my portion. Now we are going to pray and believe God for you. Father, we come to your holy presence in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, you said whatsoever we shall ask the Father in your name, it shall be done for us. So I ask you, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus of Nazareth, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were whipped, bruised, beaten and crucified. You bore our sins and you became a curse for us. And so I ask you, Father, to send down the healing anointing of your Holy Spirit upon my brothers and sisters and touch them and heal them right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for those who have cancers and tumors and cysts and growths in their bodies. In the mighty name of Jesus of Nazareth, I curse those evil things and I command them to wither away, dry up and die and disappear at this instant in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for those who have blindness or depleted eyesight. I curse every cataract. I curse every eye disease. I touch these eyes with the blood of Jesus. And I speak to you, eyes, receive perfect sight, be healed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Father, I pray for those who have any mental or emotional kind of infirmity. I ask you to touch them by your power and heal them in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for those who have internal diseases like diabetes, high blood pressure, troubles with their lungs, their kidneys, their livers, their internal organs. I ask you to touch them in the name of Jesus and do creative miracles inside of them in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I curse 
sugar diabetes. I curse every spirit of sickness and disease and infirmity. And I command you to go in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Be cursed in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those who have injuries in their bodies. Be healed now. Now, 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 now. In the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Father, for total, 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 total in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We have to walk in the power and the anointing of God. It is not an option. And whenever we hear the word of God, something within us must rise up we can we can do two things we can say oh that was a good word i have often people say oh brother that was a good message but that's not the point the point isn't whether it was a good message or a bad message or how you score me out of 10. that's not the point the point is whenever we hear the word of god something with us within us must rise up to take a hold of everything that God has for us. And that is how we move forward. Because if we don't do that, we don't move. Because we hear the word of God so many times and we feel it's good every time. But if we don't take a hold of it, we don't get anywhere. So I want us to take a hold of some things tonight. Let's lift up our hands to God and, and say, Lord, I take a hold of whatever is my portion today. I take a hold of whatever is my portion. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Father. 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 What's wrong with you? Impossible. perfect sight. Lord, come on this biggest hindrances is as we grow older it's so easy that we lose our childlike enthusiasm and you know I'm not as old as I mean there are people older than me but I'm 66 years old and I remember when I turned about 55 50 55 I thought of Moses Lord, teach me to count my days. When I was 30, I didn't care. I had my whole life ahead of me. When I hit 50, 55, I said, I have, I'm closer to the finish line than from where I started. And I want to make my life count. Now, those younger ones, you probably can't relate to this, but as you go older, you want to make every day count. I sat down my, with my team in Africa. I said, you know, 
I can, I realize if I preach, I mean, practically, really speaking, I cannot, I can maybe carry this pace for 10 more years. And because many people at my age, they're already talking about retirement, right? So, okay, so how many crusades can I do? How many services will I preach? I actually counted. If I live to be so long, this is how many services I can do. And I said to my guys, I said, listen, we got to get serious with this thing. I want to make every sermon count. I want souls. Because there's too much at stake. And right now with COVID-19, I suddenly realized it's like somebody pressed a pause button and the whole world has come to a standstill. But the Lord said, no, people are still dying without Jesus. So, those of us who are older, we have to get very serious. Because if we lose our, if we look at ourselves as tired and weary, and that affects our hunger and enthusiasm, and we go to the motions and say, oh Lord, touch me, but we don't really mean it. That's the worst place we can be in. We have to maintain God, keep me, keep my childlike enthusiasm. Let me never get tired of seeing your works, your power. Amen. 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 David said, Lord, even when I'm old and gray, forsake me not until I have shown your power to the next generation. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Pastor Sam, do you have anything in your heart? Pastor Rusty, I hand it back to you. Okay, thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. We need to do one more thing before we dismiss. Remember, this is fall harvest. Amen. First of all, Pastor Sam Carr will be in the morning, teaching in the morning. It will be a full service. He'll have control of the whole service. So we'll have praise and worship, and he'll conduct that beginning at 1045 in the morning. So be sure to be there for that. But then the Lord just quicken something to my spirit he's already spoken this to me and i i want to i want to give it to you and i want to give it especially uh to jerry and Jana, to to uh to greg and 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 to danny to all the pastors uh keith you guys that go into mexico alan and pat that go to, into nicaragua listen we have to get in front of this covid thing now let me tell you what i mean by that we do not have to get on the back end of it and say, well, praise God, if I ever get infected, then I'm going to believe God for healing. No, we've got to get on the front end of this. Years ago in Africa, John G. Lake was there during a horrible outbreak of the Nabonic Plague. I've read that for years. I've read it in different books. I've read other people have quoted it. I went and read the original uh, manuscripts of what had happened. And a research ship, a medical ship, had come from England. And they actually did a... Did a uh, uh, these slides that you do and he touched one of those slides where they those people would die with a bloody flux in their mouth and that that bloody flux would teem with that disease and he would 
he would touch that in front of those uh, those doctors and those investigators, those scientists, and that, that those germs, they'd look at it under a microscope and they would die at the touch of his hand. Now, his, he stood on one scripture, the law of the spirit of life in Christ makes me free from the law of sin and death. Now listen, you go back into these nations, we go back into these crusades, Shreveport, wherever we, we're at, we as believers, we're going to have to be in front of this thing. Now we've practiced this, you that come to Island Church, we've practiced this for years with the flu. We've kind of had fun with it, called it our flu shot. But I remember when the swine flu came, and not one person here got the swine flu. Now we've spent literally days praying over this meeting that if COVID-19 or the flu or anything comes into the atmosphere of this, it dies when it gets into this atmosphere. Now you say, well, that's awful bold statement to make. Well, somebody's going to have to get bold with this thing. This thing is going to have to break in our nation. And there's going to have to be a people unafraid to proclaim this gospel and minister this to a world that's scared to death right now. They are scared to death right now. Amen? Everybody lift your hand. Lift your hand. Say this out loud. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus was wounded for my transgression, bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. By his stripes, I am the healed of God. You bless my bread. You bless my water. You take all sickness, all symptoms from the midst of me. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, I forget not your benefits. You forgive all my iniquity. You heal every disease. You redeem my life from destruction. You crown me with loving kindness and tender mercy. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Jesus, you said you'd never leave me. You'd never forsake me. You'd be, me with, be with me always, even till the end of the age. Here we are at the end of the age. Thank you for the grace to get in front of this. I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, a sound mind. No evil befalls me. No plague comes not my dwelling place. The law of the spirit of life in Christ sets me free from the law of sin and death. I've been delivered from the power of darkness translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Now you ready? I said you ready? Say it with me. The same spirit. The same spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It dwells in a in me it quickens it makes alive my mortal body therefore I stand on the front end against COVID-19 against the flu any other pandemic any other epidemic I declare Jesus my Savior Jesus my healer now thank God for it just say that in a service and expect it to work. 
I said that to put a seed in you. That's a confession I've made for 36 years. 36 years. I've fought some health battles, but I guarantee you I've come through every one of them. Every one of them. And here's the thing. As a church, one of the things we must do as the true church of the book of Acts is we must declare Jesus Christ the Savior and Jesus Christ the Healer. People have backed away from it from Decca. It is time to step up again and declare Jesus Christ the Healer of sick bodies. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we worship you tonight. Thank you for being here with us in this service. I thank you that every person that had hands laid upon them heard this message, received the word. I thank you that they believe, they receive, and they shall have it in Jesus' name. We thank you, Heavenly Fathers. We leave tonight that protection and safety are on us. Lord, as we go out into the communities, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that no evil befalls us. No plague comes in our dwelling. Angels have charge of us. In our travels, the highways, the seaways, the airways, those that return to employment tomorrow, their jobs, their businesses, we thank you, Father. They're protected, kept safe. Gather us back this morning with an expectancy of a growing, breaking wave of your glory that will encompass us and cause us to enter into the things you desire in the days ahead. We thank you for it, Father. As we leave tonight, we declare over Island Church and over everyone here, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. God bless you. We hope the Word of God has blessed you today. If you would like to hear more messages, please visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.